Revelation chapter number 12 is our text. Let me begin my time with you this morning by uh, helping all of us locate where we are in the timeline of events that will occur leading up to the last days, leading up to what's known as the period of the tribulation and even in or within uh, that tribulation period. Let me remind you of where we've been over the last few weeks. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 verse number 1 describes an event we call the rapture of the church. Now the rapture is that moment as you know when the body of Christ is taken out of the world. It could occur at any moment. It absolutely has nothing that must precede it. It is imminent. The coming of the Lord in the rapture of the church is imminent. It means that there's nothing that must happen before that could happen. We could go home to heaven in the rapture before we finish this church service today. Amen? And that would be okay with me, though there's much work yet to be done. But, uh, but that would be okay. The rapture will occur. And then the Bible teaches us in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2 that there is a world leader that's coming to power at the beginning of the tribulation period. The Bible calls him the beast. We know him as the Antichrist. Scripture calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition. Um, he is this one who will rise in political prominence and influence in the last days. And that at, the, at just the right moment, he will step forward on the world scene and will bring about a peace at the beginning of the tribulation period. So the rapture of the church and then the, the appearance of the Antichrist. And these two events mark the beginning of the tribulation period. Now the tribulation period, as most of you are aware, is a predetermined set period of time that is coming upon the world that will last for a period of seven years. Uh, this is in the book of Daniel, what is known as Daniel's 70th week. If you study the book of Daniel, he talks about 70 weeks, 69 of which have already occurred. The 70th week, or week of years, it's a seven-year period. That 70th week has not occurred yet. That is the tribulation period, and it will begin when the church is raptured and the Antichrist Appears. Now, in the beginning of that tribulation period, we learned last week that God will send forth two powerful preaching teams one large team, 144,000 Jewish witnesses, and one smaller team, only two prophets that will preach uh, in and around the temple, which will be in Jerusalem during that time. Last week in chapter number 11, we noticed two timestamps. And I love timestamps in the Bible. Whenever you read a, a timestamp or a date stamp in the Bible, those are helpful. Let me remind you of those two from chapter 11. Look at Revelation 11 and verse number 2, where you have a timestamp. He says in verse number 2, but the court of the temple, uh, which is outside, the outer court, don't measure it. It is given to the Gentiles for the holy city. Uh, shall they tread underfoot, that is Jerusalem shall be tread underfoot for 42 months. And you might write in the margin of your Bible for 42 months more. That's, that's what verse number two is saying. From, from, the, from the, this point of the, of the passage, there are 42 months remaining uh, when Jerusalem will be um, trampled under the foot of the Gentiles. And then Revelation 11 and verse number three also gives us a timestamp. 
Uh, he says in that verse, I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy for 1,260 days. So verse two says 42 months. Verse number three says 1,260 days. And then verse number three says that these two witnesses will be executed. They will be killed, uh, murdered, martyred, we could say, um, during uh, that time of tribulation. Now, the execution of these two witnesses will occur um, at the same time of, or even simultaneously with, uh, the moment when the Antichrist will go into the temple of God and will claim to be God himself and will demand to be worshipped by the entire world. Uh, you know that the Bible says in a number of places that this is going to happen. Uh, let me show you one on the screen. Second Thessalonians tells us this in chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, speaking of the, the beast or the Antichrist, he opposes and exalts himself uh, against every so-called God or object of worship so that he, the Antichrist, will take his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And so remember, these two prophets will be preaching at that temple. And in this moment when the Antichrist begins to take possession of that temple, claiming to be God is the time when they will be executed. Uh, Daniel also describes this event of the beast taking his position in the temple and claiming to be God. Listen to Daniel 9 and verse 27 where Daniel writes, and he, speaking of the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week or for seven years. Again, this is Daniel's 70th week. And in the midst of that week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the offerings to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it the temple desolate, even until the consummation and that which has been determined shall be poured out. So this event uh, that, that Paul in 2 Thessalonians describes as the Antichrist going into the temple claiming to be God, um, what Daniel describes in Daniel 9.27 as this making the temple desolate, this event is called the abomination of desolation. That's what it's called, the abomination of desolation. I didn't call it that, Jesus called it that. Matthew 24, you can go read it later, Matthew 24 said to the Jewish people, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet in Daniel 9.27, when you see that occur, in other words, when the Antichrist goes in, claims to be God, killing the two prophets, setting himself up as God, in Matthew 24, Jesus said to the Jewish people, run for your lives. Flee to the mountains. Don't come down off the roof. Don't come back in from the fields and gather your things. Get out because he will seek to annihilate you. And in fact, it is that persecution of the Jewish people that Jesus warned of in Matthew 24 that we're going to read about today in Revelation chapter number 12. Now, before we read the passage in Revelation 12, look with me just at a couple of verses. I want you to see two more timestamps. Look at Revelation 12 and verse 6. That verse says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there. And here's this timestamp again, 1,260 days. And then look at chapter 12 and verse 14, another timestamp. And the woman, uh, to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness and her, 
uh, into her place where she is nourished for, here's the timestamp, a time, times, and half a time. Uh, this is a designation the Bible uses several times, a time, times, and half a time. And the Greek word for time or times is kairos. It means a set period of time. And within the context of the tribulation, it would be one year, a time, one year, times, two times, one plus two is three, and a half a time is a half a year. So what you find in Revelation 11 and in Revelation 12, four different times, you have three time stamps or time designations given. 42 months, that's in chapter 11, verse 2, 1260 days, that's in chapter 11, verse 3, and chapter 12, verse 6. And a time, times, and half a time, that's in chapter 12, verse 14. And all three of those time designations equal three and a half years. They're all the same, three and a half years. And if you compare that, if you remember what Daniel 9, 27 says, that in the midst of the seven years, or in the middle part, halfway between, or halfway in the middle of the seven years is when the abomination of desolation takes place. If y'all are with me, shout amen. amen. Here's what I want you to know. Where are we in Revelation 12? We're in the middle of the tribulation. That's the point I'm trying to get you to. We've come to the mid part of the tribulation period. And the Bible describes that in the middle of the tribulation period, the peace that the Antichrist will have established at the beginning will have collapsed, war will have broken out around the planet, literally humanity will be in a tailspin, the Antichrist will have committed the abomination of desolation in the temple claiming to be God demanding universal worship. That's where you are when you arrive in Revelation chapter 12. So understanding that context, let's read the passage. Revelation 12, verse 1. The Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. Stop right there. By the way, notice this. The Bible is telling you in verse 1 that what you're getting ready to read in chapter 12 is symbolic language. It's a wonder. It's a, a, mirac it's a sign, a miraculous sign, a symbol that we're getting ready to see. This is symbolic language. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head, there was a crown of 12 stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, this dragon had seven heads and ten horns. It's grotesque. Seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew in the third part of the stars of heaven. In the margin of your Bible, next to verse 4, just write the word angels. Angels. In the Old Testament, the Bible, the book of Job primarily, describes angels as stars. His tail drew in a third part of the angels of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, ready to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up unto God and to his throne. 
And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. That is, the devil or the dragon and his angels, their place was found no more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And that they love not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. But woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the, uh, and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man-child. And the woman, or to the woman, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth, furious with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and which have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now remember verse 1 and verse number 3 instruct us at the very beginning of this chapter, that we are reading symbolic language. And namely, the two primary players in this passage or, or characters in this text that are represented symbolically are found in verses 1 and verse number 3. They are, uh, in the first place, a woman. And then in verse number 3, a dragon. A woman and a dragon. Let's begin by talking about the dragon. Write it down this way, what the Bible says about Satan. The dragon, what the Bible says about Satan. Can I ask you a question? Uh, do you believe that evil only exists in the abstract? Or do you believe that evil has a physical form? We can say it this way, does evil have an originator or a source? Or should we think that evil is simply um, an influence in our, in our world? Here, here's what I'm asking you. Do you believe in the devil? Do you believe the devil exists? Let me just suggest to you that if you don't believe the devil exists, you probably should just throw your Bible away, okay? Okay. 
Because if the devil isn't real, the Bible is not reliable. Here's why I say that. Satan is mentioned in the Bible in both Old and New Testaments by name 56 different times. And beyond being called by his name, Satan, 56 times, the devil is mentioned or devils, referring to demons, the devil or devils are mentioned specifically 61 times. Now, when you put those two together, over 100 times, there are direct references to Satan, demons, and the devil in the Bible. Not to mention the fact that Jesus spoke directly to the devil on more than one occasion. If the devil's not real, Jesus is crazy because he's talking to an imaginary thing. No, Satan is in fact very, very real. In verse number 3 of chapter 12, the Bible says John saw this wonder, this sign or symbol in heaven that looked like a great red dragon. Thirteen times in the book of Revelation, eight of those times in chapter 12, this great red dragon appears in the text of Revelation. And we don't have to wonder who the great red dragon is referring to. In fact, look at Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 9, where this dragon is clearly, without uh, any controversy at all, identified as the devil himself. Verse number 9, the great red, this great dragon was cast out. He is that old serpent from Genesis 3. He's called the devil. He's named Satan. So the Bible identifies this this uh, dragon in verse number nine as being the devil himself. And I think you would agree with me that if someone is described as a great red dragon, that's not a pleasant description, is it? That says something about their character, right? Have you ever described anybody as a great dragon? Well, I mean, maybe you haven't, but if you did, that wouldn't be a very, a very kind thing to say about them. Maybe you've described someone as having dragon breath. That wouldn't be nice either. But if you say it, it means it's really bad. When the Bible describes Satan with this imagery of being a great red dragon, it obviously says a lot about the character of the devil. What does the Bible tell us about Satan? Well, look at verse 9 again. This great red dragon, the serpent, the devil, Satan, is he which deceives the whole world. Write this down. Satan is a deceiver. Satan is a deceiver. Now, while you're writing that, I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, look at him and tell him, the devil is a liar. Tell him, the devil, it really is true. The devil is a liar. And the Bible presents so much evidence to support the fact that the devil is a deceiver. Look at chapter 12 and verse number four. Uh, Speaking of this great red dragon, his tail drew in a third of the stars or the angels in heaven. Now the word draw, when he drew them in, the word draw means to lure and to cast down. So it's the idea of coming up and getting, getting your arm around, or in this case your tail around, and dragging or throwing them down to the ground. What the Bible is telling us Imagine this. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to even wrap my head around this, that the, that the power of deception that is possessed in Satan 
the ability to deceive is so strong in Satan that he even had the ability, he was successful in the presence of Almighty God in heaven to lure away, to deceive and lure away a third of the angels. That's exactly what this verse says. It's described, by the way, in Isaiah 14, if you want to go read it later. Isaiah 14 describes that initial, that first original fall of Satan when he rises up in pride and Lucifer, as he was known as, uh, the, the uh, angel, and he was cast out of heaven. So he deceived a third of the heavenly angels. Jude, verse number six. In fact, let me, why don't you just turn to Jude? What is it? Three pages forward, right in front of the book of Revelation. Look at Jude and verse number six. Describes these angels who were so deceived by Satan, by Lucifer. Verse six says that they kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Now here's the point. Satan is a deceiver and he's so good at deceiving that he even had the ability to deceive uh, many of the angels. But it's not only angels that he deceives. Uh, we know from the story of creation and the Garden of Eden and in the infancy of the human family that Satan deceived uh, Eve. Uh, the Bible says in Genesis 3 that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. The word means cunning. He was more cunning than any beast of the field. He, he spoke to Eve and began to question the word of God. Has God really said that you can't eat from every tree of the garden? And, and he deceived Eve. And the scripture says Eve then took of that fruit from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil that she was forbidden uh, to partake of. Imagine that. Imagine you're Eve living in the garden of perfection, in the garden of Eden. You've got every tree of the garden. I don't know what all trees were there, but I can imagine every, every tree of the garden. And in perfection, maybe these are trees that, that grow things other than just wonderful fruit. Maybe they grow chicken and dumplings. I don't know. It's just, it grows all kinds of wonderful things. And you can, probably not, but you don't know, so maybe. And you can eat anything of any garden or any tree of the garden that you want to eat. And you're just enjoying it. But there's one prohibition. One. God said there's one out of all of them. There's one that you are not to eat of. The knowledge of, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan is so cunning. He's so deceptive. That he was able to take a sinless woman in a perfect environment with ample provision and lure her to the one thing God said don't do. He's good. He lured, he deceived a third of the angels. He deceived Eve in the garden. Look at verse 9, Revelation 12 and verse number 9. This great dragon was cast out, the serpent, the devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world. He deceives a third of the angels. He deceived a perfect woman in a perfect environment. And in the tribulation, verse 9 says, he will deceive the whole world, the, the population of the world. All of those who don't follow Christ during those days will be deceived by him. And I say all of that to you to say that we should be aware of the deceptive capabilities of the ability of Satan 
to deceive us. And here's the truth, that Satan didn't only deceive a third of the angels and Eve, and one day he will deceive the whole world, but he deceives countless people today. Can I just be honest and tell you, some of you are sitting and listening to me today, and you are living under the deception of the enemy. You are believing what he is telling you. He is feeding you lie after lie after lie after lie. And you're taking it hook, line, and sinker. Like the Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus spoke of Satan in these words. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar. Let me tell you how Satan deceives God's people. One of the ways in which he does it is he deceives God's people by preventing, keeping, luring us, distracting us away from the truth of God's word. So the way that I combat deception is on the truth, right? With the truth. If I know what's true, then I'm going to have a much more successful time standing against what is not true. But if I don't know the truth, I will fall into the lie every time. So if Satan can keep me out of God's word, then he's setting me up to believe his lies. So when you think on a Tuesday morning, well, I'm not going to do my devotion today. I'm not going to read my Bible today. Yeah, I know it's been two or three days since I read my Bible, but hey, God's gracious, no big deal. God is gracious, but understand what the devil's doing to you. Understand the temptation. Is he setting you up to believe his lies? And once he alienates you from the truth of God's word, then he alienates you from believing the character of God. Because then he convinces you that God is not truly good. God doesn't have his best in mind for you. That God can't take care of you like he says he will. Isn't that what he did to Eve? Hey, Eve, hasn't God said? Has God really said you can't eat of this tree? He just begins to question the goodness of God. He does the same thing today. And then he does to us what he did to Eve. He alienates us from truth. He questions the goodness of God. And then he promises something better, some fulfillment or happiness in an illicit pursuit as opposed to a holy pursuit. That's what he did to Eve. Look how good this fruit looks. It's so good. It'll make you so wise. It'll taste so good in your mouth. Go ahead, Eve. God's not really got your best in mind anyway. And we still fall for the same thing. If if y'all love your pastor, shout amen. amen. Now I hope you'll still love me after this. Gentlemen, I believe I'm speaking to one or two, maybe more men who right now are on the edge. You're believing the lie that there's a better woman for you than the one you're married to. And Satan is setting it up and the relationship is happening and you're just friends and you're saying it's no big deal, but you are going like a bird to the snare. Satan is telling you that what he has for you is better than what God has given you. Same thing happens with women. Same thing happens with young people. God says, you be holy. In your relationships, you honor me. Sex is to be safe for marriage. You walk in purity, and yet we begin to date, and we're drawn into these relationships, sometimes teenagers, sometimes single again folks, and we're drawn into these relationships, and we become sexually active, believing this is going to make me happy, this is going to fulfill me, and yet God has a better way, and Satan sells us the lie, and we believe it. Are y'all with me? Do you understand what I'm telling you? Satan's a deceiver. 
and he separates us from God's word and from truth and he causes us to doubt God's goodness and then he sells us a lie that there's a better way. Not only is Satan a deceiver, Satan is an accuser. Listen to what the Bible says in verse number 10. Revelation 12 and verse 10 says, I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan is an accuser. Now notice, in verse 10, Satan is being cast out of heaven. He's being banished from heaven. Even though he's already been defeated by the cross, even though his doom is certain, he has access still to speak to God. And he is actively accusing, verse number 10 says, he is actively accusing us before God day and night. Now the Bible gives us a couple of examples of this. Job is one, Job 1 and verse 9, where he accuses Job before God. Zechariah 13 verse 1 says he's accusing the high priest Joshua before God. Imagine Satan, day and night, bringing up to God your failures, my failures, our sins and mistakes, and Satan standing before God going, look what they're doing. Can you imagine that? Yeah, the Bible says he's our accuser. Day and night, he accuses us before the Father. Now, praise God, we have an advocate with the Father. If you're glad, shout amen. amen. We have an advocate. And the blood speaks on our behalf. The blood of Christ and Jesus, our high priest, stands to uh, advocate for us. But Satan, nonetheless, is our our accuser. Listen to what verse number 11 says. When we're accused, it says they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So listen, the devil can accuse me before God all day long. He's going to be telling the truth because I'm going to fail multiple times in my life. But every time he stands before God and says, look at Dykes, what a loser he is. The blood of Jesus is my testimony. My hope in Jesus Christ is my testimony. And the blood and Christ stand in my defense against the accusations of the devil. I would never say the devil's lying about my failures. He's not. He's just, he's just fighting a losing battle because they're covered. He is our accuser. Thirdly, Revelation 12 tells us that Satan is a destroyer. Verse number 4 his tail drew in a third part of the stars of heaven. He did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered. And he stood there ready to devour her child as soon as it was born. Imagine this, this woman giving birth with a, with a dragon waiting to devour that child the very moment that the child is born. He is a destroyer. Now, by the way, the Bible says this over and over. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Be vigilant, be sober. You have an adversary of the devil who, like a roaring lion, is roaming throughout the earth seeking whom he may devour or destroy. Satan wants to destroy you. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness in high places and spiritual wickedness and the rulers of darkness. We, we fight against the devil who is the destroyer. 
and he wants to destroy you. Listen to me carefully. Satan wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy our church. He wants to destroy our community and our nation. He is a destroyer. That's what he is. A deceiving, accusing dragon and a destroyer. And so much is he a destroyer that the Bible tells us in verse 4 that he was ready to destroy this child. Now, who is the child? Look at it again, verse number 4. The dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered to destroy the child as soon as it was born. And verse 5 says she brought forth that man-child, that boy, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Pop quiz, who is that? Jesus. Revelation 19, 15, if you want to read it later, says that very thing. When Jesus comes, he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. So this is referring to Jesus. And Satan wanted to destroy Jesus. Now, how did he try to do that? Well, Matthew 2 tells us he tried to do it through Herod, who killed all the infant children in Nazareth, I'm sorry, in Bethlehem, seeking to destroy this child. Uh, The Bible tells us in Luke 4 that the mob in Nazareth tried to throw Jesus off the cliff, and yet verse 5 says that God protected this child. Verse 5 is an amazing verse. It talks about the incarnation of Jesus. This child was born, who was to rule all nations. It talks about the ascension of Jesus. He's called up to God, and it talks about the return of Jesus when he will rule the nations. He wanted to destroy Jesus, but he couldn't do it. So the dragon, he is a deceiver, he's an accuser, and he's a destroyer. Now, the Bible also says to us in Revelation 12, it also speaks of the woman. So let's talk about the woman. Uh, This is what the Bible says about Israel. What the Bible says about Israel. So the woman in verse number 1 of Revelation 12 is clearly the nation of Israel. We know that for a couple of reasons. Most uh, so, primarily because of the child that she brings forth. This is the great distinction of the Jewish people. The great honor of the Jewish people is that it was through the Jewish people Christ came into the world. In fact, that's what Paul says in the book of Romans. He questions the book of Romans, what's the prophet in being a Jew? That's, that's Romans 9, 10, and 11. And he says, well, here's a great prophet. That it was through the Jewish nation we had the law. Moses gave us the laws through the Jewish nation. We got the ordinances and the worship. And it was through the Jewish nation that Jesus himself was born. And it is their great honor. So we know the woman in verse verse 1 is Israel because of the child that came through Israel, Jesus. We also know it because there's a description of Israel in Genesis 39 which matches the description of Israel in uh, Revelation chapter number 12. This is Israel. Now here's the thing, that the passage in Romans 12 makes it clear that Satan's agenda has been and will continue to be the destruction of the Jewish people. Now I don't have time to go through the history of it. Many of you are aware of it, that there has never been in the history of humanity a single group of people so maligned, so mistreated, so attacked, and so sought after in their destruction as have been the Jewish people. Why? Why has it been Satan's agenda 
to destroy the Jewish people. Well, Genesis 3.15 tells us why. God gave him a warning. Genesis 3.15, they'll put on the screen, says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Speaking to Satan, God said, I will put uh, enmity between you and the woman, between uh, you and um, uh, Eve in this case, uh, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head. That is ultimately through the woman, through Eve, and ultimately through uh, her uh, descendants Israel. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. What God said to Satan in the beginning in Genesis 3 is that you will be crushed by, uh, by the, country, or the nation of Israel and by the, the Savior that will come through Israel. Now, there have been dragons throughout history, as I mentioned, that have tried to annihilate the Jewish people. The Roman Caesars sought to destroy them. Uh, by destroying their temple and their city, Jerusalem, and, and dispersing, scattering them throughout the nations of the earth. In more recent history, Adolf Hitler sought to destroy the Jewish people in, in uh, the uh, death camps of the 1940s in World War II. Uh, and even today, Muslim dictators, uh, nations like Syria and other Muslim nations who have made it their stated agenda to drive the nation of Israel into the sea. They seek to annihilate the Jews from the earth. Here's what the Bible says, that during the tribulation period, this persecution will become more intense than ever before. Why? Because Revelation 12 and verse 12 tells us that Satan knows that his time is short. Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath and fury because he knows that he has but a short time. In your handbook today, did you bring your handbook? I forgot to bring mine to the pulpit. In your handbook, write down this prophetic point. This is, this is the prophetic point for the day. It is that Satan will be permanently cast out of heaven and in fury he will seek to destroy the nation of the Jews in a final holocaust. Now the Bible is explicit about this. Uh, the scripture tells us that he uh, fell from heaven, Isaiah 14, but that ultimately he will be banished from any access before God to accuse. And that will come during the tribulation period. He will be cast out. Revelation 12 and verse number 7 tells us about this casting out. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven, or their, their access to heaven was no longer found. Some have tried to take chapter 12, verses 7, 8, and 9, and make that the original fall of Satan. It doesn't fit the context at all. I believe clearly this is a future uh, banishment to come when they will be cast out. No more access, no more place found to accuse God's people. And when he is cast down, the, 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 the final ending, his final judgment so, so near, in fury he will lash out to destroy Israel. Now, what will happen? Look at verse number 6, Revelation 12 and verse number 6. It says, the woman, we know that's Israel, fled into the wilderness. Now, this is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, flee to the mountains, flee to the wilderness. That's what Revelation 12 and verse 6 says. Uh, it says that the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared. God has prepared a place for her, and there in that place she will be fed or cared for 
for 1,260 days or three and a half years or the final half of the tribulation period. Verse number 14 says the same thing. To the woman were given to Israel, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, a specific place prepared by God. And in that place, she will be nourished for how long? A time, times, and half a time. It's three and a half years. It's 42 months. It's 1,200 and 60 days from three and a half for three and a half years she will be protected or guarded uh, in that place so the persecution will begin in the mid part of the tribulation and it will go for three and a half years until the end here's the focus factor in your handbook this persecution begins following the abomination of desolation halfway through the tribulation and will continue until Jesus returns so here's the point. Satan is a destroyer. He's an accuser. He is a deceiver. During the tribulation period, when he knows his time is short, only three and a half years remain. He's in the middle part of the tribulation. He will, he will be banished completely from heaven. No more access to God. No more accusing. He will unleash his fury in a final attempt to annihilate the same nation that he's been trying to annihilate since Genesis chapter number 3. He will unleash his fury against them. And yet, notice how chapter 12 says that God cares for Israel and will protect her. Verse 6 says that she will be fed in this place. Verse 14, she will be nourished in this place. Verse 16 says that the earth will help her somehow in this place. Now, where is this place where these uh, remaining Jewish uh, people will, will flee to? Well, we don't know for sure. Many people believe that this is a place. Have you heard of the place called Petra? Many people believe this is a place called Petra. It's just across the, the Gulf of Aqaba in the northern part of the Red Sea, uh, across from Israel. Um, it is the rose red city. It's a Nabataean uh, city from the days of uh, just before the time of Christ, really, uh, really all the way back almost 1,000 B.C., but the, the city is carved into the rocks. And there's some scriptural indication that, uh, that God said he would send them to, to uh, Petra and there he would guard them. I don't know for sure if that's the case or not. But, um, but there is a place where God will guard and protect the Jewish people during that time. But ultimately, here's what's going to happen. That as, as the Antichrist is seeking to unleash his hatred against them and annihilate them, God will huddle them. Do you remember where the, the psalm, and suddenly it escapes me, but the psalm said uh, that God would gather us under his wings. And Jesus even spoke of this from the Mount of Olives when he cried over Jerusalem and said, how often I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen doth her, her chicks, her brood. So in that final three and a half years, God, in care for these Jewish people who the Antichrist is seeking to annihilate, God will wrap his wing around them and protect them. And by the way, aren't you glad God does that for us even today? Amen. He will protect them. And ultimately, he will come to rescue them. And this is what Zechariah describes for us in Zechariah 13 when it tells us that, that at the end of that three and a half years as God has been protecting them and guarding them that finally, in fact, he goes on to say in the book of Revelation, except those days should be shortened, there's no way they would survive. And at the end of that three and a half years, Christ will come. Jesus will return in his revelation. And why is he coming? He's coming to rescue his people. 
These Jewish people, he's coming to save them. And do you know who they will be crying for in that day? Messiah, save us. And Messiah will come. And they will discover on that day that Mashiach is Yeshua. The Messiah is Jesus. Zechariah says they will see the nail prints in his hands and say, where'd you get those? Why is our Messiah wounded? And he will say, I got these in the house of my friends. You did this to me. And the Bible says in that moment they will believe and God will open up a fountain of salvation to the Jewish people. Amen? The point is that Satan is a liar. He is a destroyer. He is an accuser. And in the same way that he's always tried to destroy Israel, he continues to try to do so today. There are alliances. You make no mistake about it. If you're watching the evening, well, the 24-hour news. We used to say the evening news. If you're watching the news, there, if y'all are listening, say amen. amen. There are alliances forming today in the Middle East that are alliances of those who hate the nation of Israel and who, whom the Bible says will form an alliance, Ezekiel 38 and 39, and will come against Israel and attack them in a great war. And those alliances are being formed even today. He still today seeks to annihilate the nation of Israel because it is through Israel that the hope of the Messiah has come. And it is through Israel that we can ultimately have a Savior whose name is Jesus. Because he hates God, Satan hates Israel. And because he hates God, Satan hates you. He hates your children and your grandchildren. He hates your family. He hates this church. And he seeks to destroy. But remember what the Bible says. Verse number nine, I believe it was. Verse 11, rather. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You know how you overcome this deceiving, accusing destroyer, this great red dragon who has the ability to deceive the whole world? You overcome him by standing squarely on your hope through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my hope. And then Satan's power fails in your presence. Because the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony overcomes him. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus as your savior? I hope you do. But if you don't, I hope you'll trust him right now. Let's pray together.